Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the Scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Zach with my wife Krista, Hello. and we are very excited to be with you a little bit earlier uh, than our normal episodes air, but we're excited because we're gearing up for Easter week and we wanted to make sure that we uh, give you the resources and give you a little bit of a study that'll help aid you and your family as you go into your study for this for this wonderful week. Yeah, and as you might have noticed in our study this week, we have kind of a special um, just Easter focused study. In the I keep, so I keep wanting to say episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the manual, they have just taken these scriptures so that we can focus just on the week of Easter, which is why Easter week starts on Sunday on the triumphal entry. So we want to give you, give you that and hope in hopes that this can aid your study and help you really focus on this wonderful, beautiful celebration. It's something that's been kind of neat for our family over the last couple of years, maybe since you started the small seed where we we've made Easter something kind of big and and you even tried to separate the celebration of the savior's final week from you know the easter eggs and the treasure the hunts and all of that too and it's and it's really made a difference for our family yeah it was a couple years ago and i would point you to that resource if you haven't already participated in that the small seed i think two years ago we started the an easter week tradition where we really went through and and focused on that and that's a free resource that you can get at thesmallseed.com and it's a printout they've got We've got tons of ideas and things to help you and your family um, really understand and detail these days. And it's really fun because, as you know, in many other Christian religions, they celebrate Lent that kind of prepares you the 40 days before Palm Sunday Mm -hmm. um, to kind of put you in the reverence. And I've loved that too. Um, I've participated. I've done that a few times I try and do it every year. Mm-hmm. I think I've forgotten a couple years, but, um, and I think that even just the whole preparation period, that gearing up for Palm Sunday, and then you start in with Palm Sunday and really just focus in on, we talk a lot about the true meaning of Christmas, but what is the true meaning of Easter? And as we study meaningfully about one of the most joyous events of all of scripture, mm-hmm. um, this is it. Yeah. And you get to really focus on it. So I love that they they kind of took that out for this lesson. For Come Follow Me. Yeah. yeah. So I think, and that's actually what we're just going to hope to do today, yeah. is go through each day briefly and kind of connect it back to to ourselves. In fact, on Instagram this week, uh, we're going to try to post every day just a little something to maybe remind you of what we studied together, maybe uh, gear you up for a little bit of study on your own, uh, and help make that particular day something meaningful for you and for your family. Yeah, and maybe even put some other scriptures. I know that they have mostly focused on these Matthew scriptures, but as within most of the stories in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, I guess, there are other tellings of the story in different Gospels, which you can find, but maybe we'll add some of that as a resource for your study as well. I want to start with uh, with a really duh insight, but it wasn't duh to me. This was a couple of years ago. Um, and I can't remember if we were singing a hymn that had the phrase in it or if I was listening to someone's testimony. 
uh, but the phrase that I know that Jesus lives, all of a sudden that last word kind of came alive to me, huh? that Jesus, saying that you know Jesus lives means that you're saying that you know Jesus is alive. And I know that sounds like a really duh point, but it wasn't to me that it, when I say I know that Jesus lives, I'm saying I I know, I believe that this individual that died 2,000 years ago is actually alive today. And if someone's alive, they're doing something. Living people live. They breathe. They act and they engage. And so when I say that I believe that Jesus is alive, that he's that he lives, I'm saying I believe that he's that he's alive and that he's doing something today, that he's teaching, he's still healing and he's guiding and he's he's present and can be present with me. And that to me is the beauty of this Easter study is of course studying the teachings, uh, the sacrifice and his death, but as it was for those Christians, um the, the joy and the surprise, the relief at his resurrection and what that meant, not just for them individually, but for the entire world. And I think one of the things that has been most meaningful me, full for me is I've studied in this way, going through each day and focusing on what happened is realizing kind of with those early disciples, those disciples that lived when Christ did, they didn't know the end. They didn't, we know the end, right? Christ is resurrected. But for them, this is, you can't leave us, Lord. And then the joy that they felt as they realized that he, he really was resurrected. And that has been a really meaningful experience for me because they didn't know the end and Jesus was risen. So what we want to do is go through briefly, really briefly, each of these last weekdays, the Passion Week of the Savior, uh, we're not going to go into detail because when we get to these actual scripture blocks later on in the New Testament study, we'll go into more detail there. But we just want a brief overview of what happened on that day and what it can mean for us and our living relationship with Christ. Each day can teach a simple truth about our relationship with Christ. And if we take that day seriously, it could uh, provide us with an opportunity to connect more deeply to him this this week as we prepare for Easter. So as we already mentioned, the Passion Week begins on Sunday, popularly known as, or on a calendar even, mm -hmm. you will see Palm Sunday. And that is, I think this is one of my favorites mm -hmm. personally, and maybe it's just because it's that beginning kind of excitement. But I'm going to be reading here just a brief, um, a couple verses from Mark chapter 11, um, starting in verse 7. They brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I really like that. I like what that, just the the image, the picture. You've seen many pictures drawn of this. There's some beautiful artwork of this event. And which is another, I want to add that in. Use artwork around your house from all of these events. Mm -hmm. So many good ones. We, we've done that. And that's kind of what the small seed one focuses on is, is that. Sorry, interjection there, but um, 
these people that were rejoicing, certainly we all know that there are a lot of people that weren't necessarily happy about Jesus, but these were people that had been following him, that were his, most likely his disciples that had been listening and teaching. Um, and they were preparing a way for him. They were preparing the donkey. What I didn't read was the story of um, him telling the disciples to go and get the donkey. And they he details exactly, okay, this is what the people are going to say to you, and you're going to say this to them, and they're going to give you the donkey, and that happens. And then they prepare a spot for him to sit on the donkey. And then they're getting these palm leaves to to say, to shout their hoorays, their mm-hmm. hurrahs, and, and let him let him come in. They're preparing a way for him to enter, not just Jerusalem, but symbolically enter their lives. Yes. And that's kind of the question that we, we were thinking on that one was, how are you personally preparing a way for him to enter into your own life, into your own heart? And what, what does that mean for you personally? And what could you do more? What are the, you know, they put their, their clothing on the ground. What is it that you could lay down in your life to prepare for the savior or, or one as you were just saying that I was thinking of is what areas of of your life have you not yet let the savior triumphantly enter and what what things in my mm. life do I need him more a part of I wish I could think of the exact quote but it was in conference someone mentioned that of like are you really allowing Christ to take away your sins mm-hmm. because the more that you think about him the more you're saying sorry I'm the ruler of me yeah Maybe I'll get that quote when the conference well, And I will talk out. more about that when we get to my oh, days. So. Oh, you better get started then. <laughs> uh, the second day, Monday, he goes to the temple. This is the second time in scripture that he's recorded uh, cleansing the temple. He braids a whip, uh, drives the money changers out of the temple. And the verse that I like, I guess, in the story is verse 13, where he explains the reason why he drives out the money changers, the reason why he's so upset about this. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 13. It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then after he's chased out the money changers, he does what the temple is supposed to be doing. He heals the blind and teaches and does, uh, does those holy acts in the temple. Uh, what I've learned about this and what I've come to learn about the Savior is one of the things that makes him most upset is when when somebody or when we take something that he has designed for a purpose and we use it for a different purpose. You think of some of the, the most egregious sins and they're when we take something that was designed for purpose A, but we use it for purpose B. Uh, so for example, violation of the law of chastity is a really extreme one, right? This is a relationship that's meant to be for for beauty and for the creation of children. And when we violate it, when we use it outside of marriage covenants, we're using it for something other than what it was intended for. And that's what the, that's what the transgression is. That's what makes the Savior upset. Um, recent emphasis on the Sabbath day, keeping the Sabbath day holy. This is a day where the Savior has said, I've designed it for this purpose, but you've used it for a different purpose. You're using it for recreation or for entertainment or whatever it is. The word of wisdom. Here are some things I've put in the earth. You read the word of wisdom. Uh, the Savior is very careful in detailing. This is meant for this, but if you use it for this, then you're breaking the word of wisdom. 
And so the question I found that goes along with this is as the Savior cleanses the temple, he's trying to set things in order. And I just thought, if I look at my life, what are the things that I need him to cleanse? Or maybe better asked, what are the things that I need to put in order? Are there things in my life that Jesus would have me um, cleanse? Or are there things in my life that I'm using for one purpose that really should be for another purpose? Zach, as you mentioned, he was teaching in the temple. These next two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, are full of Christ teaching. And that's pretty much what we have record of. There's a lot of beautiful things to read in these in these passages. But the thing that I wanted to focus on was the fact that he was actually teaching in the temple. And to ask yourself the question, ask ourselves the question, um... When was the last time you were taught in the temple? When was the last time you went to the temple to be taught, to maybe really connect with the Savior and find out not just going to the temple, but really going with a purpose to the temple? So I guess there's two parts of that. When was the last time you were in the temple? And when was the last time that you went there to truly be taught and to truly learn? I went just... um... I think it was last month or the month before when I went, and um, it, I don't know what it was. It was right after they had announced, it was two or three months ago, right after they had announced um, some of the changes in the temple, and I went for the first time to, and I was, maybe it was because I was paying better attention, or it was a shorter session, or whatever, but um, for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was being taught in the temple. Um, I wasn't just going to fulfill a responsibility or to perform an ordinance. I was going to learn from God himself. And I realize that happens too infrequently in my temple worship where I go and actually try and listen to what God is trying to say to me in that house. Mm -hmm. I think a little bit of purpose behind that always goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like fasting. When you go, when you do it with a real intent, a lot comes out of it. Um, As you mentioned, Tuesday and Wednesday kind of blur together. Scholars aren't quite... Sure, it's hard to tell from the scriptural account what he does on what day and what he does on another day. And it maybe isn't that important. Uh, but to make one delineation, um, as he goes into Jerusalem, he this whole week he's staying in Bethany at the home of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so he's making this trip from Bethany into Jerusalem each day. As he's going in one day, he sees this fig tree and he, uh, he curses the fig tree. Then, this is in Matthew chapter 24, Three chapters later, he explains the lesson behind that symbolic, well, it was a figure, a, a literal act, but it had symbolic meaning. This is chapter Matthew 24, starting in verse 32. He says this, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know the summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Um, that it that he's talking about is the second coming. Um, This fig tree is the last tree, one of the last trees to blossom and fruit before summer. So he points at the fig tree and he says, when when you see figs on the tree, that's the last sign before summer is coming. So it is with the second coming. When you see some of the things that he's prophesying in those intervening chapters, uh, you'll know that the second coming is near. Um, I, I do this with my students all the time, and every time I ask them these questions, I have to reflect on myself. 
and it it causes it has to cause you to think but if the second coming were to happen today if you were to go home from wherever it is you walk through the front door of your house and there he is he's in your house and he wants to talk he wants to be with you he wants to spend time with you he wants to walk through your day with you he wants to meet your friends he wants to listen how you talk to your family he wants to see your bedroom um for teenagers i always say you know he wants to see your bedroom and i can see this look of horror on their face and i mentioned or i try and clarify he doesn't care about the cleanliness necessarily it's not about the clothes and the floor it's as he looks at your bookshelf, are your scriptures wedged between all these books and they haven't been pulled out in a while, or are they laying out on your desk? Um, as, you, as he looks at the walls in your bedroom, would you be happy with what he sees there? As you, as he hears you talk to your family or talk to your friends, would you be happy with who you are and what you do if the second coming were to happen now? And I think that's the point of the fig tree. Uh, we live in a day when we are seeing fig upon fig upon fig, and we have our prophet telling us, just in this last general conference, we better hurry up and repent because there's not much time left. Um, and are we listening to that? If it were to happen today, if it were to happen tomorrow, what changes would we want to make today to make sure that we're ready? So Thursday was a special day in their culture at the time. It's the day, the day that the Passover meal begins and the Passover was there to remember Moses and what he had done and Christ institutes the sacrament, the, the last supper with his disciples. And it's something that was set in place that he says to remember him by. And we still have the honor of participating in that same ordinance today. And do we take the time to really utilize that tool, that ordinance, that gift that we have been given weekly to really focus and prayerfully and carefully come in to what he wants to tell us and to really think of of him and what his sacrifice means. Later on, we know that he begins the atonement in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I really hadn't placed these. I mean, of course, I knew they were on the same day. But just in this study that I've been doing over the last couple of days, just realized how kind of meaningful that is that we, how often, so I guess the question I would ask is, how much time do we spend utilizing that? And maybe not even just on a Sunday, but on, on every day. Mm-hmm. He gives them the challenge to remember him and then he goes into the garden and shows them this is what i want you to remember me for and i think remembering the savior is much more than just a sunday activity it should be a sunday activity and elder holland just talked about that in general conference of right using the sacrament to recognize the lamb of god and to honor him but it should be much more than just a sunday activity this should be a daily remembrance i have a quote from elder callister he says Every attempt to reflect upon the atonement, to study it, to embrace it, to express appreciation for it, however small or feeble it may be, will kindle the, fi- kindle the fires of faith and work its miracle towards a more Christ-like life. It is an inescapable consequence of so doing. We become like those things we habitually love and admire, and thus as we study Christ's life and live his teachings, we become more like him. 
And that's the purpose of the sacrament and what has been offered to us. And you've heard us, we've probably said this in more episodes than any others, but from President Nelson, let's remember to attach Jesus Christ's name to the beginning of these things, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ. Let's remember him that he is the center of these things as we study and learn about him. In fact, Thursday and Friday, again, blend together because the Savior doesn't sleep this night, of course. He goes to Gethsemane to pray, performs that incredible atonement, and then is taken right from Gethsemane to trial after trial after trial. All these nighttime trials, which they weren't supposed to be held at all. If you want a fun thing to read, you find Jesus the Christ, where James E. Talmadge delineates exactly how many uh, rules the Sanhedrin breaks as they try Jesus in all of these different ways, trial at night, trial without witnesses uh, or without agreeing witnesses, um, condemn him of death, all these things they couldn't actually do, but which they did anyway. Um, But what I thought was interesting, at least the detail that popped out to me, and again, these scriptures we'll study in much more detail when we get there, but the detail that popped out to me is this. um, Pilate seems to be trying to save the Savior from crucifixion. Um, I've heard someone explain once that the reason why Pilate had him scourged was he hoped that putting this scourged and beaten Jesus back in front of the crowd would placate them. They would say, that's enough. That's what we wanted him to be punished, and he wouldn't have to crucify him. Of course, that's not what they want. They call out all the more to crucify him. But Pilate's trying to save him from the cross. As Jesus is walking to the cross, uh, they take this man from the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, and they compel him to carry the cross the last way up Golgotha. Um, Another attempt to try and save the Savior from the cross. And perhaps the most uh, blatant one, this one's not in these scriptures, but it is in ones we studied a couple of weeks ago. Matthew chapter 16, right after the wonderful experience between the Savior and Peter, where Jesus says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are a rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and give you the keys of the kingdom. All of that. Uh, The very next verse, 21, this is back in chapter 16. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. The chief apostle trying to save Jesus from the cross. Uh, Later on in John chapter 11, or chapter 18, verse 11. Uh, This is right after Peter pulls out his sword as as the soldiers come to arrest Jesus in Gethsemane. Peter pulls out his sword and chops off the air of the soldier. Uh, Jesus tells him, verse 11, put up thy sword into thy sheath. And then he asks this really piercing question again to Peter. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Peter You've got to stop trying to save me from this because the reason I'm doing this is to save you from everything else. 
Um, Alma 7 gives that beautiful list of things that the Savior suffered in his atonement. Uh, Sickness, infirmities, weakness, sin, temptation, death. And then it says, so that his bowels could be filled with mercy and so that he is empowered to succor us when we go through those things. And so his plea to Peter is, stop trying to stop me from this because I'm doing this so that I can save people. And the question I thought of is, am I letting the Savior save me? I've got so many things going on in my life, whether it's stresses or temptations or sicknesses or problems or sins or or whatever it is. Am I letting him take my cross? Am I letting him take my cup and drink it or bear it? Am I letting Jesus save me? And if not, what things in my life, what sicknesses, temptations, pains, afflictions, infirmities, do I need to let him drink? Do I need to let him carry for me? Saturday comes and Christ's body is still laying in the tomb. And although the gospel writers do not really mention this day or what happens on this day, um, we do later hear from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. And I'll just read a brief part of that. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. So we know from Latter-day Revelation and Doctrine and Covenants, and as well from this, that Christ was on the other side preaching um, to the spirits in prison. And kind of taking this as more of looking at Saturday as a day of anticipation of resurrection of something to come, even though maybe the disciples then didn't know what was coming. They were maybe hoping. Um, I think that's what we're hoping on too. We're kind of in this, I just thought we're waiting for the resurrection too, in a much larger, larger sense. And so as we, as Christ was doing a work, um, as he awaited his own resurrection, I just thought, what's, what's our work? Mm -hmm. What are we doing in anticipation, in preparation for the resurrection to come? Great, great thought. The, the next resurrection yeah, of the Savior. Was the it were, yeah, yeah, the second coming. Thank you. I couldn't think of that. Word. Well, the final day, um, the Come Follow Me manual this week gives Matthew 28. And uh, I, I, I like it better in John 20. I'm always fascinated with... Uh, marker words from the Savior, the first word out of his mouth in John 20 is to Mary, woman, why weepest thou? This is now the living and eternally living Christ doing what he always does, calling someone by this special dear name and then helping, healing, comforting. Um, The question that goes, I think, with Sunday is, If it's true that Jesus Christ is alive, which I testify that he is, is he alive for you? Is your relationship with Jesus one where you study what he did 2,000 years ago, which is wonderful, but can you add to that an understanding of who he is today, of what he does, has done, and continues to do for you and for your family? Do you have a living relationship with the living Christ? And if not, I think this upcoming Easter week, with the scripture study that you've got ahead of you, with some of the questions that we've given, 
um, and certainly uh, with the reverence that will come as you study, as you pray, as you fast, as you um, consider, I think this week will help you develop a more living relationship with the Savior. And we certainly know that as you study these scriptures that you will fill that special spirit and hopefully your soul and your heart and your home will be filled with the beauty of this Easter season. So we wish you a very happy holiday.